just got jump wrestling fans out there. Listen, old black fart has got a book. It's called Wrestle. It's got some dead gum good stories in there about some dead gum good wrestlers. Read stories of Dusty Rhodes, the Von Erich, Scott Casey, Sergeant Slaughter, Roddy Piper, Mr. Fuji, Ron Bass, Bruiser Brody, Mike Davis, the Grappler, and many others. And I guarantee you one thing that it'll be the best dead gum read you've had in a long, long time. Get your book today at Russellville.com or on Amazon. Russellville, it's where wrestling lives. This is Luchalet Lince Dorado, and you're listening to the Russellville Podcast where wrestling lives. Listening to the Russellville Podcast. I'm your host, Vinny Berry, and my guest this episode is Lince Dorado. Hello, sir. How are you? What's up, everybody? It's the 2010 and 2011 Mr. Puss and Boots Lucha Lince Dorado. Yeah, bro, we're here on the podcast, ready to get it. Let's go. Hey, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We met over the summer in May. And then uh, I told you, I sent you a text. I said, man, I need some, I need some star power. (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, I I appreciate that you think I'm a star. I I always still feel like I'm the dude from Camden, New Jersey sometimes, you know, uh, and when I get asked to do these podcasts and, oh, I need star power or like, you know, you're the first star to talk to when that, when I hear that word, I'm like, wow. Like it doesn't like hit me until, you know, you hear it, but you know, I'm still like, we just talked about it a second ago. I'm still grinding. I'm still in it. So it doesn't even feel like I'm done yet to be called a star, you know? Well, I've, I've, I've been blessed and very grateful to interview some of the greats in the business. You're definitely in that mix. You know, I've had Thunder Rosa, Harley Race. I mean, a ton, ton of just people that I just couldn't believe that, I would ever have the opportunity to. So I want to take this time to kind of highlight your career, which is, has been a fascinating uh, long career. Uh, we all know that professional wrestling is a very physical, very demanding, um, very sacrificial business, right? I mean, yeah, very sacrificial, you know, and, yeah. and it, it, it really does, you know, for those who love it, I'm sure it's glamorous. It looks glamorous for those on the outside looking in. But I mean, you, it's you a know, tough business, man. Down. Yeah, Doctor Shaw said it the best. It is a tough business. You know that's why that pencil neck holding the camera is not you know doing what we do, and that's why that reporter is not doing what we do. And especially you know how you just said, and it doesn't really dawn on me because again, I'm still in the grind. But how long I've been doing it? You know, some people think right now like five, seven years is a long time but like talk about somebody's doing it over almost two decades you know as one character and let alone you know wrestling before this character um and all the training and years that it takes and you said it man it's super sacrificial you know i sacrificed a lot and i continue from time to time but ultimately i see the bigger goal and the bigger goal is providing for my family and my legacy uh you know what i leave behind in wrestling you know, it's not about the championships. It's not about, you know, it's about who I wrestled, the 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 
perception I have of my or my peers have of me saying like, oh, that always was a cool man or a good man and, you know, made me laugh and like always had good matches and stuff. So, you know, that to me is more important than anything else. Uh, even money, man, like money, you can't buy me. You know, that's why I left also WWE with, you know, two years left on my contract, almost two years. And, uh, you know, it wasn't about the money. It was about what I wanted to do, my, you know, my legacy. So, yeah, it was probably what? creative differences and in you know i i was in a i was in a partnership one time me and him i i love this dude we i thought we worked great together but as a business vision we had two different visions yeah. and it was never going to connect and so it, we we just had to say hey man let's let's just go our separate ways did, did you kind of feel like that in this situation with wwe See, it it was a little I don't think it was creative because I think I've already uh accepted the the process of the beast, right? The process of the machine. So oh, I I took it as let me let me take this opportunity to contribute as much as I can, pitch ideas and like, you know, work on myself. And the moment that that became and felt like work rather than my passion and my dream. That's when I was like, I need to step away before I become bitter and 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 stuff. Uh, the politics and all the other stuff that comes with it, you know, the pitching of ideas and and, and creative stuff. Like again, I accept it, and being a realistic person, I understood like I'm not going to be able to change as as great as an idea I can have. It's not my company to be like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Like you know, it's always a an asking kind of situation there. And if, if I was able to accept that much faster, I would think, you know, um, again, I was happy about my time there. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about the business and, and, and really helped me go from a really high level of my career to an even higher level in my career. Well, that's when you came on my radar in 2016 in the cruiserweight uh, championship tournament and i i loved that tournament because yeah. it brought in so many people that i was familiar with people uh that i had been watching like on the independent scenes and and kind of just knew a little bit about but weren't i guess coming to the big stage right and then they had this tournament brought all these guys in and a lot of guys that i didn't know like you and and man, when I when I got to see you, I th I thought, wow, I could really get lost in your in your match. You know, I just thought, wow, I I hope they sign this guy. I hope this guy. I appreciate sticks around. it. And you did. It, I did, yeah. And I and I knew a couple of things actually. Number one, that same week that we taped the first round of CWC, I wrestled for TNA on Tuesday. So that uh, that Thursday. WWE was filming the first round of the CWC Cruiserweight Classic. And then, but the Tuesday prior to that, on the same week, I wrestled uh, Mandrews. Uh, it's online. You can see it's uh, Balam versus uh, Mandrews. It's my alter, uh, other character that I wrestled on the indies uh, as. And um, they had offered me a, like basically a spot right there and then after my match with Mandrews. And uh, I told him, no, I said, you know, I think I know WWE is going to sign me. And uh, this was even before stepping into the PC, you know, for anything. You know, I was just so confident in myself and my ability. And, and you know, I knew no matter what match or the outcome of the match, I knew they were going to be like, wow, this guy's different. This guy's 
you know, great. And um, I remember everybody was getting their match assignments and they're like, all right, you guys got this much time, this much time. And then when it came to me, you know, number one, my opponent didn't even show up. So they made me pick between all the alternates. And that's why I picked Ali. Cause I, I was like, well, me and Ali have wrestled before. Um, and I know we would have a great match and hoping that they give us time, but they actually gave us like this, the shortest amount of time in the first round. I remember they were like six minutes. Everybody was getting like 10 to 12. And I was like, six minutes. I was like, what the, f I was like, kind of like turned off on the idea to the point where I was like ready to go over time and be like, you know what? Forget that. I'm just, I'm going to, um, you know, that's the only time I felt really disrespected, but I ended up looking at Ali in the eyes and I said, Hey man, no matter what, let's just go out there and let's, let's get this job. And within the six minutes like that we did, like, I remember, <laughs> I remember Terry Taylor was our, our producer and we went over like 30 seconds or something like that. And he's like yelling at us, like, you got to come out here, come out to the back. And like, you know, this is uh, where, when NXT was taping at um, Full Sail. Right. So, so that layout, you know, you go from the ring, you could go right to the outside right away. So he was like demanding that we come there. He's like, do you know what happened? You guys went over 30 minutes. Do you know what would have happened if that was on the main roster? And as soon as he said that, here comes Triple H to come shake our hands. And he's like, that's exactly what we wanted. That was excellent. Thank you, guys. And I just look at Terry and I was like, Terry, what, what were we going to say? And he was like, well, if the boss likes it, F what I say. Like, you know, who cares what I said? I was like, you know what? It was it was a great experience though. It was really funny, but um, yeah, it uh, that was like a life changing you know opportunity for me and a and a good a lot of good and a lot of bad. So, but ultimately, I would never change it. I reached my dream, you know. That's always been my dream, and nobody could ever take that away from me. And you know, I'm happy. Yeah, and that's that's a goal a lot of people in this business want to achieve, and and a lot of them don't, right? And so, yeah. Uh, the 1% of the 1% make it. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I bet it's very small. Very small. Yeah. You know, yeah. And if you think about it, because there's still guys that are at the top of their game that have been around the indies forever who's never made it to WWE. You know, there's a 1% of the 1% that makes it to the cream, like the, the top company. And for whatever reason, I knew very early on you couldn't tell me anything otherwise I was going to make it to WWE somehow some somewhere. Right. Yeah, there's always that one guy that comes up in the conversation where you say, "Why isn't that guy signed to a a big Oh company? yeah. You yeah, know? there's there's a there's a few of my friends that I broke in with that uh I think if they made the move when I made it, they would have definitely been in better places that they are or higher companies, you know, that they would have been in. Uh, but, you know, decisions, different time period, you know, different upbringings definitely influence everybody. So. Right. And, and I'm sure, you know, that unexpected thing that happens and, you know, on a Tuesday afternoon or that unexpected thing that, you know, happens, you know, 10 years into your marriage or whatever it is, right? It's like, mm -hmm. wow, was never expecting that to happen. And now I got to adjust my sale again, right? Yeah. But I think that's the, you have to be uh, flexible in life. I think you can't just accept that it is your way. You're going to do things your way or you're going to react your way, but it's not your way in this world, right? It's like whatever the universe wants to do. But uh, I think like, 
in this situation with wrestling, I felt like, and I saw somebody had posted a meme about me, but not really a meme, like just a post. And, and it is true. And I didn't say it out loud, but I, I'm not the one to leave my fate and legacy in the hands of others. You know, even at WWE, I wasn't letting them tarnish or, you know, I use their resources to build me up. You know, I'm not saying that they try to tarnish me, um, but, you know, I wasn't also going to mess with my equity. I wanted to make sure that I left at the the right time. I left on my own. That's always been my MO too. like leave on your own. Don't get fired, you know, for or don't get fired for stupid reasons. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I did exactly what I wanted to do. I said and I, I, I did what I said I was going to do. You know, I said I wanted that to get to WWE. I did it. I said I wanted to leave on my own. I did. And, you know, nobody could take that from me. Right, right. And so after you achieved that dream, you know, and, and you, you know, you walked away and you were reassessing. And I mean, what was like, okay, what what's the next big goal? Is it sustaining your legacy or do you have uh, bigger expectations for your career? I, I do have bigger expectations for my career. I know what the next level of what I want to do. Um, I'm not going to flat out and say it but i know it is definitely going to revamp almost like a chris jericho like you know every you know revamp when you feel like you've done what you could you know with the with your current state so uh you know i'm looking forward to that but honestly i'm looking forward to now giving back to my family because you know like i said i i've sacrificed a lot for us to be comfortable and you know to the point where my kids have the life that I've never had when I was their age, you know, and that's the goal. That was my goal the whole time to get them to a point where they're good. And, you know, I'm good and I'm not a, you know, spender, you know, I make my own stuff and make my own clothes. like some most of the time. And, you know, I, I save my money and, and, you know, I, I'm trying, you know, trying to be an adult when I did, I wasn't able to have adults growing up. So, you know, I'm doing that now. And, at the end of the day, you know, that's my goal right now, my kids. And, and yeah, that next level when I want it to be, you know, but I'm not going to take time away from my family and my kids right now. Right. And, and you go, you go, let's go back a little bit. You had said that you made your own clothes, which I think is, is a very intelligent and uh, responsible uh, thing to do when you're in business for yourself. Right. Even, a thousand. even in, in my business of making books, you know, I was, I was paying this guy to do this. I was paying this guy to do that. I was paying. And a friend of mine said, Hey man, you know, you're, you're so willing to throw money for these people to do it when you should just slow down, take the time and, and do this. Right. Oh, a thousand percent. Everything. I'm an in shop. I always say I'm the cactus Jack of all trades of professional wrestling. I make all my merch. I'll make my gear. I make my mask. I, I, you know, the only thing I don't make often is my boots. And even then I'll, sh I'll make the shell and I'll send it to a cobbler to put the soles on. So he'll finish it. But I, I just remember early on in my career, I was about 17, 18, where I was getting my second set of gear ever. You know, this is my first set was given to me. The second set I, I looked out and searched out. And I just remember this one guy, uh, and ironically, I'm kind of doing it now, but it's kind of like inflation, I guess you could think. But this, this guy at the time was trying to charge me like $600 for a set of gear. 
And $600 in the early 2000s, you know, at a 17, 18 year old is a lot of money, you know, after paying, you know, school and, and wrestling and all this other jazz. Uh, so I decided, you know, I was like, you know, what? I'm going to take $500. I'm going to learn. I'm going to buy a sewing machine. I'm going to buy some fabric and I'm going to learn how to make gear. And that way I never am in this situation. I don't have to wait for anybody. You know, I don't, I could just w do whatever I want. And ever since then, since 2007, like, you, you, you know, I just been making my own gear. I've probably commissioned no more than 20 pieces in the last almost 20 years from other people to make for me. And every time I've regretted it because I'm like, damn, I could have made this better and cheaper. And, you know, I was just being lazy and that's all me. You know, I, I paid the price for being lazy. And again, I, I do value the ability to make gear um, make clothes, you know, I make jeans for my kids, you know, that they wear it all the time. Like that's not just, you know, wrestling gear that I make, I make garments and, and stuff, things that people would wear. And I make my kids learn how to make, uh, outfits and stuff like, you know, they, it's a family business that I run. It's not professional wrestling It's you know, family business. If they want their phones or if they want to, you know, a certain, you know, thing. Okay. Well help make, uh, you know, three pairs of trunks and, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. So between tracing and cutting and sewing, my kids, you know, are all in the game too. And it's a good skill for them. Like, you know, it's a dying skill that people don't know how to sew. And, you know, it's, it's even crazier that, uh, I guess like having my kids do it, it I see how, more creative and i feel like they're unlocking something in their brain rather than just sitting on their phones and and scrolling you know but yeah right. I, I i i do i do enjoy it you know last week i made three sets of gear for people and um it just made me i, I literally in the middle of it i was like you know what? i'm gonna make another set of jeans for somebody and i just asked in the house who wants it? and they're all fighting for it and i'm like all right let's if you guys want it, you can you can make your own. I'll, I'll buy extra fabric. We'll make it together. So that's what we're going to actually do uh, this week. Oh, that's that's very cool. My mom could sew. My mom could mm -hmm. sew on a machine like that. I I attempted, you know, when I was a, a little kid and made a a few things. I don't really know what they were, right? <laughs> mm, yeah, <laughs> they they were supposed to be a shirt, but they resembled something else. But in the beginning. I would imagine that was a uh, a challenging skill to pick up, right? So it was weird because in seventh grade, I remember taking a sewing class, and I, I'm a I, I'm a I'm a I love school. I love education. I'm a teacher at heart. I used to teach uh, before WWE, leading up to WWE. Actually, the the very next day I left teaching, I went to WWE. But in seventh grade, I remember taking a sewing class and we made pillows and we hand sewed. We used a sewing machine. And I remember the teacher always saying, if you can sew a straight line or a circle, then you can sew anything. And that always stuck with me. So after years have gone by and I get to that moment where I decide to learn, relearn how to sew, um, I was basically telling myself, I'm going to learn how to sew gear because i already knew how to sew you know that, that always stuck with me i knew how to sew a line and a circle but i was like i don't know how to the process of making gear but i am a math guy and i see things you know a lot of geometry so i could look at a piece of clothing and kind of figure out how to either trace it or, or measure or what measurements i would need to get this specific shape 
So it wasn't as difficult as it was a mental thing because I'm a perfectionist as well. And I, of course, I wanted it to be perfect. And on my first try, it wasn't perfect, but it was definitely much better than I expected or the average person that, you know, who decides to just pick it up and decides to make gear would expect. But um, I still have it to this day. I still have all uh, I still have most of the stuff that I've made uh, throughout the years. I've lost some and sold some. But yeah, to this day, it's still uh, mind boggling when I go look at that piece of gear and see where I came from and where I'm doing now. Uh, totally different. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, yeah, you get to see your progress, right? It's like, yeah. you, you look at that first, uh, maybe first five pieces and you thought, man, I was so proud of that. And I, you look at it now. I in say, the moment. It, yeah. I'm, I was yeah. super proud of it in the moment. And then now I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see the flaws. Yeah. I'm not going to tell anybody I made that. Yeah. I, yeah. I know. <laughs> hey, as long as it looks good in pictures and it holds up, that's all that matters. Well, that is the one thing that I that I like about your your gear and and you is you you stand out and your gear is so nice. I mean, it's like when when you say, "Hey, I I made this mask." It's like, "Wow, man." I mean, "Wow." It's yeah. It's I, nice. I make, uh, appreciate it. Yeah, I do take pride in it. I think uh the, in wrestling in the wrestling world, there's always been a uh stereotype that Mexicans in Mexico make the best looking gear, like creative. They make the best, you know, it's it's artistic. It looks so cool. They, they just have a way with material and patterns. And, and then you go to the counterpart of Japan. Japan makes like the best produced gear, like the quality. So I was like, you know what? Why, why aren't people doing both? Well, I'll just decide to do both. I, I'll take the best of Mexico and I'll take the best of Japan and I'll bring it to the, you know, the States. So like, the the production of the Japanese with the creativity of the Mexican, I just was like, you know, I'm just going to put it together and that's going to be my style and approach when it comes to making outfits or, or gear. And when people do see my stuff and they're like, wow, who made that? They're like, it looks professional. I'm like, yeah, because I made it, you know, I'm not going to wear something that doesn't look professional or looks expensive. Like my robes cost me probably a hundred and 120 bucks to make. But, you know, somebody would charge $1,200, $1,500, you know, because of the quality and the time that goes in. I enjoy that. You know, I enjoy making it look beautiful and artistic. So that way, when people look at it, they're like, wow, like that guy looks like a superstar. That guy looks like he spent a lot of money and time, you know, on his stuff. Because I did, you know, I did really, you know, time is money. And whether I'm spending money or spending time, like both are the same thing to me. Right. No, I, I totally agree. I, I can understand. You know, when you uh when you, you say that you do some gear for other wrestlers, I mean, how do they is it just through conversation like, hey, Lindsay, man, that's awesome. Who who where do you get your gear? And then you say, Well, I made it. Yeah, sometimes it's like that. Sometimes it's like through conversation, you know, especially if I get into a new locker room and I open my gear bag and they're like, Whoa, like, you know, they're they're looking at it. And then we start again, obviously start talking and yeah, they find out that it is me. Or if you're like one of my close friends, like a good brother or a good sister, you know, you know, you know, throughout the, I just started advertising it more this year and last a little bit toward the end last year that, you know, I'm taking orders and stuff. But before I used to do just by word of mouth, you know, I had enough clients and enough projects that I, I didn't have to, and I still don't. 
but I do because I like the challenge of, you know, new, new pieces being out there. I actually don't like making multiple sets for the same person. I feel like one set is enough, you know? So that way uh, I, I, I like, I don't like repeating because it's boring. You know, I like creating new things rather than the same thing in different colors. That's not fun to me. You know, I like this person once one said, and then like go to a different, totally different concept and style for another person. It's always like a new challenge, but that's the math person in me. Like I like solving problems and that's how I see everything like a geometry problem. How do I make a, a, a piece of 2d fabric sit around a 3d person, like fit nicely, you know, and look good. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot that goes into like the gear process. Some of it more mental than it is actually, you know, physical or, or, or educational. But at the end of the day, it is part of my life. You know, it's how I make my money as well besides wrestling. So yeah, it's great family yeah. business. <laughs> yeah, no, it, yeah. And what a, I mean, just what a, uh, a wonderful skill to have. I mean, that's one of my, I, I tell my wife all the time. I says, man, I wish I would have committed myself to the sewing lessons. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, now, you know, we got to, you know, if you, you find a nice jacket and it needs tailored or needs whatever, you know, I have to take it to somebody where if I had that skill, I could do all that. Or so, if you want to make your own jacket, you know, you're like, you know what, I want to, I want to just look good. I want to look out. It's like, that's, that was my challenge. I went from making gear and then I got bored of making gear and I was like, I want to make actual clothes. So then I started with track suits and like sweatpants and shorts. And then I, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna learn how to make slacks and trousers and dress jackets and blazers. And then I got bored of that. And I was like, what else can I make? And and then it got into like leather work and stuff. And it was just like, how, how much, what else can I learn uh, in the industry of, of using my hands, my brain and a sewing machine? You know, it's all, it's all like one big math problem to me. <laughs> I'm a nerd, mm -hmm. I guess. So you make t-shirts and you make jackets and everything, everything I do, uh, you know, print on everything from print on socks to shirts, you know, masks, every, I do literally everything that a pro wrestler would need. I do, you know, any type of merch, any type of design. Like I learned how to edit videos. I learned how to edit photos. I learned how to, you know, animate and, you know, this, just everything, literally everything that you can do in wrestling. I, I'm not saying I'm a thousand percent great on, but I will learn how to do what you want me to do. Trust me. Right. And you know what? I have, I have actually uh, talked to other wrestlers who have that same mindset too, right? If I can't wrestle, I'll work in the production company. If I can't work in the production company, I'll work in the marketing department. Whatever it is. That's one of the things that I learned too in WWE. Like a lot of people would go there and they just be a wrestler and just sitting there and just, you know, wait for them to be called. I, I went and into the ring truck. I went into the 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 production truck, the props truck. I went into all these other different like avenues that they had just to learn what they were doing just in case you never know like oh i could do that oh i could do that or i could learn how to do that and the more people saw you in those spots i think the more reliable you looked because you looked like you were multifaceted and you could do more uh than just wrestle you know because like you said what happens when you can't wrestle you know that's a that's a mind mind game in its own when it comes to wrestling and the wrestlers because a lot of us have that anxiety like what happens life after wrestling you know 
Right. And, and, you know, you've, you've heard it just probably more or many times as I have is, you know, have a plan B, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, and unfortunately, uh, I know some people that didn't have a plan B. Yeah. But like um, I was doing, like, it's, like I said, you couldn't tell me anything other than I know why I was going to be a wrestler. So that was always my goal and my job. Everything else I was doing was part of plan B. Right. And uh, part of that was, like I said, I was a teacher for about seven, eight years. And that helped me a lot because I didn't have to worry about a certain schedule. Uh, You know, I was I was certainly uh, I was highly qualified and certified. I did an excellent job. I thought as a teacher in the district that I worked for, thought I was uh, excellent. I would go out. They would send me to other schools and train teachers on how I would do things because they thought that my uh, technique in the classroom was great. And, you know, I apply that same idea to training wrestlers now. And that's my, that's also part of my backup plan. My, my, my plan B, I guess, um, after wrestling, but right now I'm not done, you know, wrestling. I still want to do, uh, a lot in the wrestling world. And, and, you know, we, we, we talked about a lot of different facets that you do, but the in the wrestling right now, you know, what are some of the places that you're wrestling? I see that you're, you know, regularly working with MLW and Impact and New Japan. I mean, where where can we see everywhere, you in the man. next couple? Yeah, everywhere. I, I, I've honestly wrestled, and I tweeted about this. I said, I've honestly wrestled for every major company in the last 20 years. Um in some capacity, you know, TNA, Impact, AEW, WWE, NXT, uh, you know, uh, every, every, literally everywhere that you could think of that has wrestling, I've been there, uh, New Japan, and I, I do still continue to go back and now no longer become a, a I don't know what the actual, an attraction. I want to have a home where I can actually showcase what I can do, not only in the ring, but on the mic and and be the best version of me and best representation of Lucha Libre that I want to be. And that I see, you know, that's, that's always been my vision of just showing my representation, not um, succumbing to somebody's idea of what Lucha Libre is or what they think it is. And, and be like, no, this is what it can be. Here's, here's Lucha Libre advance, you know, with, uh, and with a, a guy who can do it and do the style so, you know, that's why a lot of times I will get booked with a lot of the Japanese and Mexicans, all the other guys, because I can do any of their styles, you know, the multifaceted and, and all the styles. Um, I've trained for years and I still continue to train and I love it. So at the end of the day, I, I don't I don't sit back and, and hope I get my flowers like I don't need that. I, I know at the end of the day what I am and what I contribute and what I continue to contribute to pro wrestling. All right. Well, it has been a pleasure talking with you today. I've really you enjoyed it, brother, man. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Just it, it's so interesting to not just talk about wrestling, but the other things that that you like doing, right? Yeah, we're human beings. I think we have like, you know, I don't really think I'm a cat most of the time. You know, I'm a dude that just loves wrestling, and I love doing other things that. It may be in wrestling, may not be in wrestling. You know, I'm just as human as everybody else. But uh, I, this conversation was great. Really appreciate talking to you. 
No, I was actually as you're talking and, and in between sentences looking around at your posters and medals and stuff like that and just like I was like, man, these these are some cool stuff. So uh appreciate it. like I said, the conversation was great. Thank you. Hey, thank you. I thank you. I have to ask you one more question. Yeah. Do you do you take the trash out and mow your yard with the mask on? The trash, yes. Lawn, no. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been a pleasure. Appreciate you guys. Thank you, everybody. And stay Lucha Lit. You're listening to the Russellville Podcast, where wrestling lives. This is Jack Victory. This is the King's Road Slayer, Derek Neal. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Weekend Wonder Child, the Friday Nightlight, Miss TGIF Mia Friday. This is JR Kratos, the most feared, the most legit wrestler in professional wrestling. You're listening to the Wrestleville Podcast with Vinny Berry, and I'm Brittany Brooks. You're listening to the Wrestleville Podcast. Where wrestling lives.